maybe try something different, a new activity or sport. And you'll meet a whole a different crew of people to associate with it. So even immerse yourself in a different subculture. And uh, it, it can be really enlivening. And um, it's never too late to try something different like that, too. So Retirement. That's what we're all aiming at, right? But exactly what does that mean? It conjures up visions of endless days of golf, drinks with little umbrellas in them on a tropical beach, feet up reading a book, Is that what it's all about? I don't think so. Life would get pretty dull after a while without anything meaningful to do, don't you think? I'm Jackie Doucette, and I'm on a mission to discover exactly what life is like beyond retirement. Join me while I chat with people who've already done it, who've retired to something rather than from something. Let's find out together exactly what's waiting for us when we say goodbye to that 9 to 5. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Beyond Retirement. Today, I'm really pleased to be joined by Mark Ryle. Mark's a retired economics and mathematics teacher. He was at Royal St. George's College in Toronto, Ontario, and Hillfield Strathallen College in Hamilton, Ontario, for a combined 24 years of teaching. He's a cross-country running coach. He's a triathlete who uh, competed for Canada in Switzerland in the World Age Group Championship in 2019. And he's an author. So we're going to get into all of those things a little bit more. So I'm not going to uh, go into them any further now. I'm just going to say welcome, Mark. Thanks for joining me. Thanks so much for having me on your podcast, Beyond Retirement. Jackie, I'm really excited. I think this is going to be interesting. And um, like I usually do, let's just start with a little history about you, who you are and how you ended up where you are today. Okay, well, I'm a Canadian boy. Uh, I was born in Windsor, Ontario. And uh, came from a, a good family. My, my parents are still married and, and together and a good example. Um, they're in their mid-80s now. And I, I was sandwiched between two sisters, uh, two very domineering, strong-minded sisters who I love very much. <laughs> uh, so one's slightly older, one's slightly younger. And uh, just grew up in mainly Ontario, places like Belleville and uh, Toronto. I went to high school in Toronto. So uh, I've had a, I've had a luxury of a good background with a good family and um, lots of privilege and things like that. But um, I've also had to work hard, obviously, to, to do things, especially in school and in academics. So you, uh, you finished your career as a teacher. Did, did you start off wanting to be a teacher uh, when you were going through school? How did, uh, how did you end up doing that? No, I was horribly mixed up. Um, so if you have any listeners out there who can relate to this, I had no idea. If you had told me I would be a teacher, and I guess we'll be discussing writing a book or, or an author um, back then, I'd say you're crazy. I was sort of into science and math, and I was headed into engineering, and that's what I was going to do, and everybody knew it. I was a good student. Um, I always loved studying and working and, and always did my homework, things like that. And I was good in those areas, math and science. So, but I, after about two years, I dropped out of uh, engineering at Water, University of Waterloo. Um, I was actually the top student when I withdrew, and I remember um, talking to the uh, chair of the department and he said mark what are you doing he's like 
almost going to pull, pull my ears. You know how you pull somebody's ears. What are you doing? You know? And I just said, look, I'm, I'm interested in other options that your, the program here is pretty constrained. It's a good program, no complaints about program. You guys are doing a great job, but I wanted to study psychology, biomechanics. And I, I can't do that here in this program. So that's how, that was sort of my first breakaway into something um, a little different. Uh, although it still wasn't teaching. I only discovered that I was going to try teaching when I was um, teaching labs out at Simon Fraser University. I was teaching physiology labs out there while, while um, trying to do a master's in science. And one, I still really wasn't thinking, I wasn't sure that was for me still. So I was still struggling actually. And um, one of the students there in the lab said to me, you know, you did a great job explaining that. It really helped me um, the way you explained that. And uh, I don't remember the name of that student, but that uh, one positive bit of feedback, genuine feedback, really, really hit me. And um, I thought, you know, maybe you should try some teaching. And I did. Uh, at that point, I applied to Teachers College. Wow. So did you... Uh... You went to teacher's college and, and got a job as a teacher. Did you do other other jobs in between or, or around there or was teaching your your main career after that? It was, uh, I started teaching and I taught for about, see, I guess about four years. And then um, I just got this itch to go back to school. So I, I did a doctorate in, uh, in educational finance and that was great. That was an awesome experience. Um, I told my wife, don't let me do this. And uh, off I went and I did it anyway. And it was it, like full time too. It wasn't like part time. It was full time. So I had to stop teaching. And, um, but that was fun. It was a great exploration between the thesis and all that and meeting a bunch of other people. Yeah. And then after that, since my thesis was in the area of uh, education finance, um, I, there was a lot of interest in consulting companies. So I started, I did some consulting for a few years with, um, in that area of uh, public finance because uh, all the school boards in Ontario were trying to save money or uh, yep. figure out how to do things more efficiently. So that was the topic of my thesis. But even that, uh, Jackie, uh, wasn't the career for me. I it was almost a little bit too corporate. And uh, I, I, I thought back to my teaching. I met my lovely wife, Lynn, at that time, who was a teacher. And I thought, you know what, I'm going back into teaching. I just really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the teaching, the coaching, the energy, the working with the youth. And um, so, and, and uh, so we, Lynn and I got married and we both taught after that for, you know, until just recently retiring. So that, <clears throat> excuse me, that's the next step. We uh, we're talking about things beyond retirement. So Let's talk a little bit about your journey since you retired. Um, and I know you started your book before you retired. You wrote the first draft, but you finished it later. So how, yeah. has, how has retirement treated you and what, what kind of things have you been doing? Well, retirement has been absolutely awesome. Um, I'm lucky. Well, my wife and I both retired recently. We're lucky we have our health. Financially, we're fine. So that's good. So when, when you're in that situation, um, you can devote your energy to your interests, right? So I had started this book many years ago, but I never really got around to um, publishing it. I, I reached out to a few publishers, but nobody would even answer my email. So it's very difficult in science fiction if you're not an author before and whatnot. So I understood that. I said, okay, that's cool. But um, I still had this book. 
on genetic engineering and aging. And uh, I thought, in fact, the topic became even more um, of a hot topic, top of mind with people, genetic engineering these days and than it was several years ago when I was trying to publish this book. So I thought, you know what? Actually, it was my wife's idea. She always has to do that. <laughs> she said, why don't you dust that off? COVID is hit. You're stuck at home. Dust it off and, and um, make that your project. And, and she was, that was a great idea because um, I had the time and I had, I had the basics of a pretty good um, story. Uh, it's fiction, but it's speculative fiction. So it really, it was really meant to try to predict the, the actual future in 50 to 100 years through the lives of some characters and through the science of genetic engineering. So I did um, work for about six months or so uh, updating that book. And that was my first retirement project. And it was great. It um, gave me something really focused to do. And um, I then self-published that. I didn't even reach out to any publishers because that's another thing that's changed a lot these days is yeah. you can self-publish and do these podcasts and things like that to promote your get the message out and promote your work so that's that happened about a year ago and um i'm now just about to come up with a second book um, which will be on the uh, coaching and running side of things and non-fiction but um that first book was my first big project yeah and so let's uh, you, you your first book is is fiction it's you know science fiction and your mm -hmm. second book is non-fiction um do you think there's going to be any difference in the difficulty that you have writing it and maybe the difficulty you have in promoting and publishing the two of them? Yeah, they're both tough. I mean, it's, 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 it's the, the hardest part is the editing and the writing. I mean, I don't mind the creating and putting the ideas down and I don't mind the after part where you go into social media and try to promote it, but it's that editing, the actual grind of, you know, is this sentence right? Is this, this paragraph makes sense. Are these chapters in the right order? All that stuff. And I'd encourage any readers who, um, by the way, I encourage anybody out there to give this a shot because I never thought I would ever be a writer. Never thought. And it's been a great experience. So um, you don't have to think of it as, oh, okay, I'm going to try to write a bestseller because that's probably not going to happen, right? I've only sold, <laughs> let's say, a few hundred copies of this first book, which isn't bad. But that's, that's not yeah, bad. That's great. But um, the, um, you could have something on your mind that um, like my second book, for example, it's more of a biographical thing about my daughter and I running, which is a wonderful thing that two generations running together and training and cheering each other on and actually training together. And um, so that I'm not expecting that book to, you know, be sell hundreds of thousands, uh, but it's going to be a wonderful treasure for our family, more of like almost a, autobiography she's doing the forward to the book but she's provided a lot of feedback into the book and we have some great stories in there and memories and um it's that whole intergenerational bonding thing and it made it, it made my fathering experience so much richer being able to run with my daughter and the irony of it all is she got me into the running that's the start of chapter one of the book is she went out when she was eight years old tried to run around the block and wanted us to time her and we're like what do you well, eight-year-olds don't do this don't you play soccer or something and uh so I had to go out and start running with her because she won't, had this inner urge to run and uh, eventually compete. And she got me into running. So that's the sort of the hook for the book. And it's just 
you know, I, any reader, all the, all the uh, listeners out there of yours probably have these stories and memories and things that they may want to try to self-publish and then other family members and friends and maybe people interested in the activity like writers or whatever could then um, have access to that, to, to what I think would be a treasure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, uh, I think that's a, a great post-retirement kind of uh, project as well, because you've got, you know, you've got the time, you've done the life. That's a, that's the time to be writing down all those stories. Exactly. Yeah. You've got, <laughs> you've got those memories and then, that you can make them permanent. Uh, yeah. So even at, even after you die, those stories will are still accessible and will live on. Uh, it's like a piece of art or something. So I'm I'm really interested in um, in age decoded actually because uh, ge- genetic engineering is something that I was interested in you know, as I went through school and it's always it's just kind of fascinating to think that people can actually you know pull things off of our, off of our genes and, you know, plug them in somewhere else and make something completely different. Um, when you were starting to write it, it, you know, you called it speculative fiction. So you're kind of trying to look at what things are going to be like in a hundred years or 150 years. Right. Did you have any kind of, you know, hopes or aspirations about what the book might do to the people who read it um, in terms of, you know, making them, think more seriously or more, more critically about the way things are going as, as we move along into that, into that future. Yeah. So I, my purpose was just to educate people about this because I do think it's going to be, it is a huge frontier and it, um, this microbiology or micro, the micro frontier on the biological front, which includes genetic engineering is, is huge frontier. And, the implications of this technology are, are will be incredible, um, similar to maybe what happened with um, information technology, mm-hmm. uh, you know, decades ago, and now it's still progressing and impacting our lives so profoundly. And, or similar to nuclear technology, which had its has had its negatives, but also its positives. Um, so that my my sole purpose was to just to share anything I could about this, speculate, educate, and but to do it, uh, I would not be qualified to do a, a fact a nonfiction book on this. Um, and in fact, I was a bit petrified when I put out the the, the fiction book on this because I'm thinking like, is this gonna hold at all? Like, because I was actually trying to I wasn't trying to be on another planet, be fantasy type fiction. Um, I was actually trying to keep it as realistic as possible and try to predict what, what's New York going to be like in New Orleans and these places. And that's so those are the two locales in a couple hundred years. It's 50 to 200 years. That's what this book stretches across. So you really have to think about things like, is there a subway in New York still? Um, what, how old will people live if genetic engineering is used? And also if it's offered, if immortality is offered, um, in my book, it's offered for free. Would everybody go for it? It's so tempting, tempting, tantalizing, right? Um, and then if, and most people do go for it. <laughs> so uh, then, okay, what are the implications when they start reversing aging, which ha- starts happening later, at the second invention in my book about aging, using genetic engineering. So that, that was my intention to educate, um, use the characters, make a story out of it. Uh, but I was petrified because, there's a lot of science in there, 
especially early on, that sort of lays the groundwork. And um, I'm not a geneticist, or some people call them genomicists, but I did try to learn as much as I could. And so far, actually, over the year, nothing nothing hasn't held up, but that's only one year, right? Um, <laughs> and in fact, so many other developments have happened in genetic engineering. We're still sort of pointing to the same massive upheaval that's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's really interesting. So looking at your life, um, the things that you've done, the things that you anticipate that you're going to be doing in the next few years, what's kind of big in your mind? What's the, uh, what's, what excites you about moving forward? Well, um, I, as you mentioned, I do, I really do love sports. So um, I, I'm still involved with triathlons. Um, now, another th- nice thing about retirement or being an older person, um, if you do like sports, you can still find venues where uh, age is sort of factored in. So, for example, triathlon, I don't compete against the young bucks who are 25 years old, I think, or professionals. <laughs> I'm in the 60 to 65 year old category, and we, we know each other pretty well. Our, fellow competitors and um, that's sort of fair that there's a five-year age group there um, although these 61 year olds always the 65 year olds always say that the guys four years younger than them have such a big advantage in four years they can actually feel that four years but uh, uh, still it's it's pretty fair and then I also play um, uh, golf and then snooker snooker is a good example too I'm in a um, I'm in a group that's in the 50 plus uh, masters snooker group. So again, we're, we're sort of bonding as, as like as older people. And, but, uh, and those are sports too, where you don't really drop off much. Like in snooker, you, these guys, I, I played, I, I got my, sorry to use the term, but my ass kicked by a 75 year old the other day. He's just an amazing player. And, um, you know, he sees well, he holds the cue well, and he's viciously accurate and um <laughs> 75 years old that so that's a sport maybe you can people can find new sports like i just started playing snooker a couple of years ago um golf's another sport where you can play you know as long as you're reasonably healthy and uh the triathlon's tough but at least we have a age group so that's the for me sports is going to be a big thing but i'm also would like to write about them maybe i'm thinking of doing a like a humorous third book on snooker and golf because they seem almost like having played them both and ha- almost everybody i play snooker with plays golf and everybody plays golf with like they seem to be almost the same sport one and the same um and they're both very psychological and very <laughs> it seems so simple there's the ball right Go put it in the, in the hole. hole. Right? <laughs> yeah. but it seems so simple. Nobody's trying to tackle you. Nobody's you're not off balance. Everybody's quiet. Are you waiting for your shot? <laughs> and, but it's so it's it's tantalizing. Seems so tantalizing simple, but it's very complex and, and fun. So I'm thinking of doing a, a humorous book on the connection between those two crazy sports. Um, it's funny. Um, a lot of people that I know play golf. I, I'm not one of them. I'll do mini golf once in a while, but right. I tell everybody who asks me, I tell them the story of my very favorite comic strip about golf. It's the uh, BC comic strip with the, uh, with the old caveman people. Yes. And, and the, uh, the fat broad is, you know, holding on to a club and she's talking to the other, you know, one of the other guys and, and he's trying to explain golf to her. And she looks at him and she looks at the club and she says, <laughs> 
So the idea is to hit the ball as few times as possible, right? Yeah. And he goes, yeah, you've got it. So she hands him the club and says, why hit it at all? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I, I just can't fathom wanting to go out and do something that I know I'm going to be frustrated at from the, from the word go. <laughs> yeah. So I, I would like I... to walk around. I walking on the course. That's great. <laughs> yeah. So any listeners out there, if um, well, maybe you maybe try something different too. try a sport, try a new activity or a sport and you'll meet a whole different crew of people to associate with it. So even immerse yourself in a different subculture and uh, yes. it, it can be really enlivening and um, it's never too late to try something different like that too. So snooker is my example. Um, and yeah, that's a, that's a, a good choice too. A little bit of uh, hand-eye coordination necessary, a little bit of uh, knowledge about uh, physics, that kind of thing. But right. But anybody can learn it. Yep. And that's it. Uh, so uh, there's a quote I've, I've, uh, from Helen Keller. She said something to the effect of uh, that uh, security is um, just a superstition. And uh, I, I love that because in retirement, it's easy to maybe settle down and do so much that you, you could you could hide away right a little bit and um, yep. retract and think well this is well, you know what what can I do what should I do whatever but um, so in, in any of these ventures you're gonna I don't think you want to be too secure in retirement it's nice to have some financial security obviously but I don't think you're gonna be too secure otherwise you're maybe going to stagnate so that, yep, try, I agree. try some different things yeah, yeah exactly. give it a shot give it, you'll have fun a lot of people say you know as you get older your sandbox gets a little smaller you're not you're not quite as willing to take chances and and this is the time to do it go out and try something new you know yeah you've got all the experience behind you so you know that you know even if you're not good at it so what yeah not try true. something new or at least expand on something you want to do before so like my, for example my wife taught art for um 30 years but she because she teaching took a lot of energy so and commitment so it wasn't like she could spend much time creating her own art but ever since she's retired she's had she's taken advantage of it completely she's just gone nuts producing art she's got a studio she's got a she's developed a really nice website she's and expanding her um, self. She's in a couple of galleries now and she's doing a lot of um, shows, uh, special shows, gets invites and all that. So like, she's really, really taken off on the art scene because she never really had the time to devote to that wonderful, it's not even a hobby, right? It's a calling and um, yeah. it's great for her. And that's, and that's it. You get it when you get a chance, when you finally sit down and just, you know, let yourself be quiet for a minute. You can come up with all sorts of things that, you know, maybe way back when you were a kid, you thought would be really great to try and you never got a chance. And, you know, now's the perfect time. Yeah, exactly. So you can almost expand the sandbox or, or at least explore it more. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, yeah. So you, uh, you mentioned your wife and you both uh, retired around the same time. Uh, did that cause any, any kind of friction in, in your home or anything like that? You're both you know, on top of each other all the time, you're in each other's hair, or did it go really well? Well, we, we had a little, we have had a little bit of that 
inevitable COVID, um, what would you call it, the cabin fever thing where, <laughs> where you're, you're, at, you're, you're with each other a lot more. So um, that's, I think a lot of people have found that very interesting and challenging, right? So, but um, because we have a lot of activities, um, that's helped too. So we can, we, we, we give each other lots of independence and that, that, oh, that's, that's, made, that's made all the difference. So, yeah, perfect. So if people wanted to talk to you about, you know, the things that you're doing and, and how you got involved in them or talk to you about, you know, coaching cr- cross country or about your book, how would they reach you? Well, I probably the best way would be through, uh, I mean, I can provide you with a Gmail if you want at the end, but um, the, I guess to find out about the book, they can go to Amazon, just type in the title of the book. You'll probably have a link for that. Um, yeah, I will. If they want to actually communicate with me, uh, probably the best bet other than if, if you want, I can, is the email okay to provide an email? Or If you want to provide an okay. email, that's great. Or do if that. you don't want to say it, I can just put it in the show notes, whatever you like. Yeah, like, yeah, put it in the show notes, that's fine. Um, I have a, uh, I have a, um, presence on Quora too, where they can send me a message. Quora is a, is a yeah. platform where you can just you know, let ask people questions. Probably and, yeah. Yeah. So I've had a lot of fun with Quora and answering, making a funny uh, or, or sometimes uh, uh, serious answers to questions. A lot of people ask about longevity and, and uh, immortality on there. And some people ask about writing, but I have a lot of quippy funny stuff so you can direct you can message people on Cora. they just type in my name mark ryle Cora. it'll take them to my site and then they can send okay. a message that way too yeah oh, that's a good idea because then then we can find out a little bit more about you and the kind of kind of way your brain works all that sort of thing yes yes awesome um is there anything that you would specifically like to tell the listeners about you about your book about anything at all i would just uh encourage people to be open uh, to, to allow their genuine um, selves to, um, to uh, blossom uh, no matter how old they are. And um, to even to continue, another way is to continue listening to shows like this podcast that um, uh, celebrate um, retirement and um, that, uh, show what a treasure is um, being an older person being post uh, full-time work that's a treasure and um, so I'd encourage reader, readers sorry listeners to um, continue um, you know listening to podcasts and and uh, allowing their genuine selves to uh, expand in this uh, in this great part of their life Perfect. Well, thank you very much, Mark. It's been a pleasure talking with you. I wish you the best of luck with your next book. Um, and the third one, the humorous one on golf and snooker. That'll be great. Thanks thank you so much. much. For being here. Thanks for hosting me, Jack. Okay. Thanks. Yeah, it's been great. And that's it for this episode of Beyond Retirement. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. I hope you enjoyed it. To check out the video interviews, please go to my YouTube channel at bit.ly forward slash beyond retirement that's bit dot ly forward slash beyond retirement be sure to subscribe so you won't miss any new episodes